0: The Baker Street Readers present The Resident Patient From the memoirs of Sherlock Holmes By Arthur Conan Doyle. In glancing over the somewhat incoherent series of memoirs with which I have endeavored to illustrate a few of the mental peculiarities of my friend Mr. Sherlock Holmes, I have been struck by the difficulty which I have experienced in picking out examples which shall in every way answer my purpose or in those cases in which Holmes has performed some tour de force of analytical reasoning and has demonstrated the value of his peculiar methods of investigation, the facts themselves have often been so slight or so commonplace that I could not feel justified in laying them before the public... On the other hand, it has frequently happened that he has been concerned in some research where the facts have been of the most remarkable and dramatic character, but where the share which he has himself taken in determining their causes has been less pronounced than I, as his biographer, could wish. The small matter which I have chronicled under the heading of a study in Scarlet, and that other later one connected with the loss of the glorious Scott, may serve as examples of this Scylla and Charybdis which are forever threatening the historian— It may be that in the business of which I am now about to write, the part which my friend played is not sufficiently accentuated, and yet the whole train of circumstances is so remarkable that I cannot bring myself to omit it entirely from this series. I cannot be sure of the exact date, for some of my memoranda upon the matter have been mislaid, but it must have been towards the end of the first year during which Holmes and I shared chambers in Baker Street. It was boisterous October weather, and we had both remained indoors all day, I, because I feared with my shaken health to face the keen autumn wind, while he was deep in some of those abstruse chemical investigations which absorbed him utterly as long as he was engaged upon them. Towards evening, however, a breaking of a test-tube brought his research to a premature ending, and he sprang up from his chair with an exclamation of impatience and a clouded brow.
1: A day's work ruined, Watson, said he, striding across to the window. Ha! The stars are out and the wind has fallen. What do you say to a ramble through London?
0: I was weary of our little sitting-room and gladly acquiesced. For three hours we strolled about together, watching the ever-changing kaleidoscope of life as it ebbs and flows through Flat Street and the Strand. Holmes had shaken off his temporary ill-humour, and his characteristic talk, with its keen observance of detail and subtle power of inference, held me amused and enthralled. It was ten o'clock before we reached Baker Street again. A broom
1: was waiting at our door. Hmm, a doctor's. General practitioner, I perceive. Not been long in practice, but has had a good deal to do. Come to consult us, I fancy. Lucky we came back. I was sufficiently conversant with
0: Holmes's methods to be able to follow his reasoning and see that the nature and state of the various medical instruments in the wicker basket which hung in the lamplight inside the broom had given him the data for his swift deduction. The light in our window above showed that this late visit was indeed intended for us. With some curiosity as to what could have sent a brother medico to us at such an hour, I followed Holmes into our sanctum. A pale, taper-faced man with sandy whiskers rose up from a chair by the fire as we entered. His age may not have been more than three or four and thirty, but his haggard expression and unhealthy hue told of a life which has sapped his strength and robbed him of his youth. His manner was nervous and shy like that of a sensitive gentleman, and the thin white hand which he laid on the mantelpiece as he rose was that of an artist rather than of a surgeon. His dress was quiet and sombre, A black frock coat, dark trousers, and a touch of colour about
1: his necktie. Good evening, Doctor. I am glad to see that you have only been here a very few minutes. You spoke to my coachman, then? No, it was the candle on the side table that told me. Pray, resume your seat and let me know how I can serve you. My name is Doctor Percy Trevelyan, and I live at 403 Brook Street. Are you not the author of a monograph upon obscure nervous
0: lesions? I asked. His pale cheeks flushed with pleasure at hearing that his work was
1: known to me. I so seldom hear of the work that I thought it was quite dead. My publishers gave me a most discouraging account of its sale. You are yourself, I presume, a medical man? A retired army surgeon. My own hobby has always been nervous disease. I should wish to make it an absolute specialty, but, of course, a man must take what he can get at first. "'This, however, is beside the question, Mr. Sherlock Holmes, "'and I quite appreciate how valuable your time is. "'The fact is that a very singular train of events "'has occurred recently in my house at Brook Street, "'and tonight they came to such a head "'that I felt it was quite impossible for me to wait another hour "'before asking for your advice and assistance.' "'Sherlock Holmes
0: sat down and lit his
1: pipe. "'You are very welcome to both.' "'Pray, let me have a detailed account of the circumstances which have disturbed you. "'One or two of them are so trivial that really I am almost ashamed to mention them. "'But the matter is so inexplicable, and the recent turn in which it has taken is so elaborate, "'that I shall lay it all before you, and you shall judge what is essential and what is not. "'I am compelled, to begin with, to say something of my own college career,' I am a London University man, you know, and I am sure that you will not think that I am unduly singing my own praises if I say that my student career was considered by my professors to be a very promising one.' After I had graduated, I continued to devote myself to research, occupying a minor position in King's College Hospital, and I was fortunate enough to excite considerable interest by my research into the pathology of catalepsy, and finally to win the Bruce Pinkerton Prize and Medal by a monograph on nervous lesions, to which your friend has just alluded— "'I should not go too far if I were to say that there was a general impression at the time "'that a distinguished career lay before me. "'But the one great stumbling-block lay in my want of capital. "'As you will readily understand, a specialist who aims high is compelled to start in "'one of a dozen streets in the Cavendish Square Quarter, "'all of which entail enormous rents and furnishing expenses.' Besides this preliminary outlay, he must prepare himself to keep himself for some years, and to hire a presentable carriage and horse. To do this was quite beyond my power, and I could only hope by economy I might in ten years' time save enough to enable me to put up my plate. Suddenly, however, an unexpected incident opened up quite a new prospect to me. This was a visit from a gentleman by the name of Blessington, who was a complete stranger to me. He came to my room one morning and plunged into the business in an instant.
0: You are the same Percy Trevelyan who has had so distinguished a career and won a great prize lately,
1: said he. I bowed.
0: Answer me frankly, for you will find it to your interest to do so. You have all the cleverness which makes a successful man.
1: Have you the tact? I could not help smiling at the abruptness of the question. I trust that I have my share, said I.
0: Any bad habits? Not drawn towards drink, eh? Really, sir? Quite right, that's all right, but I was bound to ask. With all these qualities, why are you not in practice?
1: I shrugged my shoulders.
0: Come, come, it's the old story. More in your brains than in your pocket, eh? What would you say if I were to start you in Brook Street? I stared
1: at him in astonishment.
0: Oh, it's for my sake, not for yours. I'll be perfectly frank with you. And if it suits you, it will suit me very well. I have a few thousands to invest, do you see? And I think I'll sink them in you. But why? Well, it's just like any other speculation, and safer than most.
1: What am I to do, then?
0: I'll tell you. I'll take the house, "'Furnish it, pay the maids, and run the whole place. "'All you have to do is just to wear out your chair in the consulting room. "'I'll let you have pocket money and everything. "'Then you hand over to me three-quarters of what you earn, "'and you keep the other quarter for yourself.'
1: "'This was the strange proposal, Mr. Holmes, "'with which the man Blessington approached me.' "'I won't weary you with an account of how we bargained and negotiated. "'It ended in my moving into the house next lady-day, "'and starting in practice on very much the same conditions as he had suggested. "'He came himself to live with me in the character of a resident patient. "'His heart was weak, it appears, and he needed constant medical supervision. "'He turned the best two rooms of the first floor into a sitting-room and bedroom for himself.' He was a man of singular habits, shunning company, and very seldom going out. His life was irregular, but in one respect he was regularity itself. Every evening, at the same hour, he walked into the consulting room, examined the books, put down five and three pence for every guinea that I had earned, and carried the rest off to a strong-box in his room. "'I may say with confidence that he never had occasion to regret his speculation. "'From the first it was a success. "'A few good cases, and the reputation which I had won in the hospital "'brought me rapidly to the front, "'and during the last few years I have made him a rich man. "'So much, Mr. Holmes, for my past history and my relations to Mr. Blessington. "'It only remains for me now to tell you what has occurred to bring me here to-night.' some weeks ago mr blessington came down to me in as it seemed to me a state of considerable agitation he spoke of some burglary which he said had been committed in the west end and he appeared i remember to be quite unnecessarily excited about it declaring that a day should not pass before we should add stronger bolts to our windows and doors For a week he continued to be in a peculiar state of restlessness peering continually out the windows and ceasing to take the shorter walk which had usually been his prelude to his dinner from his manner it struck me that he was in a mortal dread of something or somebody but when i questioned him upon the point he became so offensive that i was compelled to drop the subject Gradually, as time passed, his fears appeared to die away, and he had renewed his former habits, when a fresh event reduced him to the pitiable state of protestation in which he now lies. What happened was this. Two days ago I received a letter which I now read to you. Neither address nor date is attached to it. A Russian nobleman, who is now resident in England, it runs, would be glad to avail himself of the professional assistance of Dr. Percy Trevelyan. He has been for some years a victim to cataplectic attacks, on which, as is known, Dr. Trevelyan is an authority. He proposes to call about quarter past six tomorrow evening, if Dr. Trevelyan will make it convenient to be at home. This letter interested me deeply, because the chief "'Difficulty in the study of catalepsy "'is the rareness of the disease. "'You may believe, then, "'that I was in my consulting-room "'when, at the appointed hour, "'the page showed in the patient. "'He was an elderly man, "'thin, demure, and commonplace. "'By no means the conception "'one forms of a Russian nobleman. "'I was much more struck "'by the appearance of his companion. "'He was a tall, young man.' surprisingly handsome with a dark fierce face and the limbs and chest of hercules he had his hand under the other's arm as they entered and helped him to a chair with a tenderness which one would hardly have expected from his appearance you will excuse my coming in doctor he said to me speaking english with a slight lisp this is my father and his health is of a matter of most overwhelming importance to me I was touched by this filial anxiety. You would perhaps care to remain during the consultation? Not for the world! He cried with a gesture of horror. It is more painful to me than I can express. If I were to see my father in one of these dreadful seizures, I am convinced that I should never survive it. My own nervous system is an exceptionally sensitive one. With your permission, I will remain in the waiting room while you go into my father's case. To this of course i assented and the young man withdrew the patient and i then plunged into a discussion of his case of which i took exhaustive notes he was not remarkable for intelligence and his answers were frequently obscure which i attributed to his limited acquaintance with our language suddenly however as i sat writing he ceased to give any answer to my inquiries and on my turning towards him i was shocked to see that he was sitting bolt upright in his chair staring at me with a perfectly blank and rigid face he was in the grip of his mysterious malady my first feeling as i have just said was one of pity and horror my second i fear was rather one of professional satisfaction I made notes of my patient's pulse and temperature, tested the rigidity of his muscles, and examined his reflexes. There was nothing remarkably abnormal in any of these conditions which harmonized with my former experiences. I had obtained good results in such cases by the inhalation of nitrate of amyl, and the present seemed an admirable opportunity of testing its virtues. The bottle was downstairs in my laboratory, so leaving my patient seated in his chair, I ran down to get it, there was some little delay in finding it. Five minutes, let us say, and then I returned. Imagine my amazement to find the room empty and the patient gone. Of course, my first act was to run into the waiting room. The sun had gone also. The hall door had been closed, but not shut. My page, who admits patients, is a new boy and by no means quick." "'He waits downstairs and runs up to show patients out when I ring the consulting-room bell. "'He had heard nothing, and the affair remained a complete mystery. "'Mr. Blessington came in from his walk shortly afterwards, "'but I did not say anything to him upon the subject, "'for, to tell the truth, I have gotten the way of late of "'holding as little communication with him as possible. "'Well, I never thought I should see anything more of the Russian and his son.' So you can imagine my amazement when, at the very same hour this evening, they both came marching into my consulting room just as they had done before.
0: I feel that I owe you a great many apologies for my abrupt departure yesterday, Doctor,
1: said my patient. Well, I confess I was very much surprised at it.
0: Well, the fact is that when I recover from these attacks, my mind is always very clouded as to all that has gone before. I woke up in a strange room, as it seemed to me, and made my way out into the street in a sort of dazed way
1: when you were absent. And I, said the son, seeing my father pass the door of the waiting room, naturally thought that the consultation had come to an end. It was not until we had reached home that I began to realize the true state of affairs. (laughs) Well, there is no harm done except that you have puzzled me terribly. "'So, if you, sir, would kindly step into the waiting-room, "'I shall be happy to continue our consultation, "'which was brought to so abrupt an ending.' "'For half an hour or so I discussed the old gentleman's symptoms with him, "'and then, having prescribed for him, "'I saw him go off upon the arm of his son. "'I have told you that Mr. Blessington "'generally chose this hour of the day for his exercise. "'He came in shortly afterwards and passed upstairs.' An instant later, I heard him running down, and he burst into my consulting room like a man who is mad with panic. Who has been in my room? No one. It's a lie. Come up and look. I passed over the grossness of his language, as he seemed half out of his mind with fear. I went upstairs with him. He pointed to several footprints upon the light carpet.
0: Do you mean to say those are mine?
1: They were certainly very much larger than any which he could have made, and were evidently quite fresh. It rained hard this afternoon, as you know, and my patients were the only people who called. It must have been the case, then, that the man in the waiting-room had, for some unknown reason, while I was busy with the other, ascended to the room of my resident patient. Nothing had been touched or taken, "'but there were the footprints to prove that an intrusion was an undoubted fact. "'Mr. Blessington seemed more excited over the matter than I should have thought possible, "'though of course it was enough to disturb anybody's peace of mind. "'He actually sat crying in an armchair, and I could hardly get him to speak coherently. "'It was his suggestion that I should come round to you, "'and of course at once I saw the propriety of it.' "'for certainly the incident is a very singular one, though he appears to completely overrate its importance. "'If you would only come back with me in my brougham, you would at least be able to soothe him, "'though I can hardly hope that you will be able to explain this remarkable occurrence.'"
0: Sherlock Holmes had listened to this long narrative with an intentness which showed me that his interest was keenly aroused. His face was as impassive as ever, but his lids had drooped more heavily over his eyes, and his smoke had curled up more thickly from his pipe to emphasize each curious episode in the doctor's tale. As our visitor concluded, Holmes sprang up without a word, handed me my hat, picked his own from the table, and followed Dr. Trevelyan to the door. Within a quarter of an hour, we had been dropped at the door of the physician's residence in Brook Street, one of those sombre, flat-faced houses which one associates with a West End practice. A small page admitted us, and we began at once to ascend the broad, well-carpeted stair. But a singular interruption brought us to a standstill. The light at the top was suddenly whisked out, and from the darkness came a reedy, quivering voice. "'I have a pistol!' I give you my word that I'll fire if you come any nearer.
1: This really grows outrageous, Mister Blessington.
0: Oh, that it is you, Doctor. But those other gentlemen are—are are they what they pretend to be? We were conscious of a long scrutiny out of the darkness. Yes, yes, it's all right. Y- you can come up, and I'm sorry if my precautions have annoyed you. He relit the stair gas as he spoke, and we saw before us a singular-looking man. "'whose appearance as well as his voice testified to his jangled nerves. "'He was very fat, but had apparently at some time been much fatter "'so that the skin hung about his face in loose pouches "'like the cheeks of a bloodhound. "'He was of a sickly colour, "'and his thin, sandy hair seemed to bristle up with the intensity of his emotion. "'In his hand he held a pistol, "'but he thrust it into his pocket as we advanced. "'Good evening, Mr. Holmes.' I'm sure I'm very much obliged to you for coming round. No one ever needed your advice more than I do. I suppose that Dr. Trevelyan has told you of this most
1: unwarrantable intrusion into my rooms? Quite so. Who are these two men, Mr. Blessington, and why do they wish to molest you?
0: Well, uh, well of course, it, it is hard to say that. You can hardly expect me to answer that, Mr. Holmes.
1: Do you mean that you don't know?
0: "'Come in here, if you please. "'Just have the kindness to step in here.' "'He led the way into his bedroom, "'which was large and comfortably furnished. "'You see that?' said he, "'pointing to a big black box at the end of his bed. "'I have never been a very rich man, Mr. Holmes. "'Never made but one investment in my life, "'as Dr. Trevelyan would tell you. "'But I don't believe in bankers. "'I would never trust a banker, Mr. Holmes. "'Between ourselves, what little I have is in that box.' So you can understand what it means to me when unknown people force themselves into my rooms? Holmes looked at Blessington in his questioning way and shook his head.
1: I cannot possibly advise you if you try to deceive me. But I have told you everything. Holmes turned on his heel with a gesture of disgust. Good night, Dr. Trevelyan. Uh, No advice for me? My advice to you, sir, is to speak the truth.
0: A minute later, we were in the street and walking for home. We had crossed Oxford Street and were halfway down Harley Street before I could get a word from my companion.
1: Sorry to bring you out on such a fool's errand, Watson. It is an interesting case, too, at the bottom of it. I can make little of it. Well, it is quite evident that there are two men, more perhaps, but at least two, who are determined for some reason to get at this fellow Blessington. I have no doubt in my mind that both on the first and on the second occasion that young man penetrated to Blessington's room while his confederate, by an ingenious device, kept the doctor from interfering. And the catalepsy? A fraudulent imitation, Watson, though I should hardly dare to hint as much to our specialist. It is a very easy complaint to imitate. I have done it myself. And then? By the purest chance, Blessington was out on each occasion. Their reason for choosing so unusual an hour for the consultation was obviously to ensure that there should be no other patient in the waiting-room. It just happened, however, that this hour coincided with Blessington's constitutional, which seems to show that they were not very well acquainted with his daily routine. Of course, if they had been merely after plunder, they would at least have made some attempt to search for it. Besides, I can read in a man's eye when it is his own skin that he is frightened for. It is inconceivable that this fellow should have made two such vindictive enemies as these appear to be without knowing of it. I hold it, therefore, to be certain that he does know who these men are, and that for reasons of his own he suppresses it. It is just possible that tomorrow may find him in a more communicative mood. Is there not one
0: alternative, grotesquely improbable, no doubt, but still just conceivable? Might the whole story of the cataleptic Russian and his son be a concoction of Dr. Trevelyan's, who has for his own purposes been in Blessington's rooms? I saw in the gaslight that Holmes wore an amused smile at this brilliant departure of mine.
1: My dear fellow, it was one of the first solutions which occurred to me, but I was soon able to corroborate the doctor's tale. This young man has left prints upon the stair carpet, which made it quite superfluous for me to ask to see those which he made in the room. When I tell you that his shoes were square-toed instead of being pointed like Blessington's, and were quite an inch and a third longer than the doctor's, you will acknowledge that there is no doubt as to his individuality. But we may sleep on it for now, for I shall be surprised if we do not hear something further from Brook Street in the morning. Sherlock Holmes'
0: prophecy was soon fulfilled, and in a dramatic fashion. At half-past seven next morning, in the first glimmer of daylight, I found him standing by my bedside in his dressing
1: gown. There's a broom waiting for us, Watson. What's the matter, then? The Brook Street business. Any fresh news? Tragic, but ambiguous, said he, pulling up the blind. Look at this. A sheet of a notepaper. For God's sake, come at once, P.T., scrawled upon it in pencil. Our friend the doctor was hard put to it when he wrote this. Come along, my dear fellow for it's an urgent call.
0: In a quarter of an hour or so, we were back at the physician's house. He came running out to meet us with a face of horror.
1: Oh, such a business! He cried with his hands to his temples. What then? Blessington has committed suicide! Holmes whistled. Yes, he hanged himself during the night.
0: We had entered, and the doctor had preceded us into what was evidently his waiting room.
1: I really hardly know what I'm doing... The police are here already upstairs. It has shaken me most dreadfully. When did you find it out? He has a cup of tea taken to him early every morning. When the maid entered, about seven, there the unfortunate fellow was hanging in the middle of the room. He had tied his cord to the hook on which the heavy lamp used to hang, and he jumped off the top of the very box that he showed us yesterday. Holmes stood for a moment in deep thought. "'With your permission, I should like to go upstairs and look into the matter.'
0: "'We both ascended, followed by the doctor. "'It was a dreadful sight which met us as we entered the bedroom door. "'I have spoken of the impression of flabbiness which this man Blessington conveyed. "'As he dangled from the hook, it was exaggerated and intensified "'until he was scarce human in his appearance.' The neck was drawn out like a plucked chicken's, making the rest of him seem the more obese and unnatural by contrast. He was clad only in his long night-dress, and his swollen ankles and ungainly feet protruded starkly from beneath it. Beside him stood a smart-looking police inspector, who was taking notes at a pocketbook. "'Ah, Mr. Holmes! I am delighted to see you!'
1: "'Good morning, Lana. You won't think me an intruder, I am sure.' You have heard of the events which led up to this affair? Yes, I heard something of them. Have you formed any opinion? As far as I can see, the man has been
0: driven out of his senses by fright. The bed is well slept in, as you see. There's his impression deep enough. It's about five in the morning, you know, that suicides are most common. That would be about his time for hanging himself. It seems to have been a very deliberate affair. I should say that he has been dead about three hours, judging by the rigidity of the muscles, said I.
1: Noticed anything peculiar about the room? I found a screwdriver and some screws on the
0: wash hand stand. Seems to have smoked heavily during the night, too. Here are four cigar ends that
1: I picked out of the fireplace. Hmm. Have you got his cigar holder? No, I have seen none. His cigar case, then? Yes, it was in his coat pocket.
0: Holmes opened it and smelled the single cigar which it contained.
1: Oh, this is a Havana, and these cigars are of the peculiar sort which are imported by the Dutch from their East Indian colonies. They are usually wrapped in straw, you know, and are thinner for their length than any other brand.
0: He picked up the four ends and examined them
1: with his pocket lens. Two of these have been smoked from a holder, and two without. Two have been cut by a not very sharp knife. And two have had the ends bitten off by a set of excellent teeth. This is no suicide, Mr. Lanner. It is a very deeply planned and cold-blooded murder. Impossible! And why?
0: Why should anyone murder a man in so clumsy a fashion as by hegging him?
1: That is what we have to find out. "'How could they get in?' "'Through the front door.' "'It was barred in the morning.' "'Then it was barred after them.' "'How do you know?' "'I saw their traces. Excuse me a moment, and I may be able to give you some further information about it.'
0: "'He went over to the door, and turning the lock, he examined it in his methodical way. "'Then he took out the key, which was on the inside, and inspected that also.' The bed, the carpet, the chairs, the mantelpiece, the dead body, and the rope were each in turn examined, until he at last professed himself satisfied, and with my aid and that of the inspector cut down the wretched object and laid it reverently under a sheet.
1: How about this rope? "'It was cut off this,' said Dr. Trevelyan, drawing a large coil from under the bed. "'He was morbidly nervous of fire, and always kept this beside him, "'so that he might escape by the window, in case the stairs were burning. "'That must have saved them trouble. "'Yes, the actual facts are very plain, "'and I shall be surprised if by this afternoon I cannot give you the reasons for them as well.' "'I will take this photograph of Blessington, which I see upon the mantel, as it may help me in my inquiries.' "'But you have told us nothing.' "'Oh, there can be no doubt as to the sequence of events. "'There were three of them in it—the young man, the old man, and a third, to whose identity I have no clue. "'The first two, I need hardly remark, are the same who masqueraded as the Russian count and his son— so we can give you a very full description of them. They were admitted by a confederate inside the house. If I might offer you a word of advice, Inspector, it would be to arrest the page, who, as I understand, has only recently come into your service, Doctor. The young imp cannot be found. The maid and the cook have just been searching for him. Holmes shrugged his shoulders. He has played a not unimportant part in this drama. The three men having ascended the stairs, which they did on tiptoe, the elder man first, the younger man second, the unknown man in the rear... My
0: dear Holmes, I ejaculated.
1: Oh, there could be no question as to the superimposing of the footmarks. I had the advantage of learning which was which last night. They ascended then to Mr. Blessington's room, the door of which they found to be locked. With the help of a wire, however, they forced round the key. Even without the lens, you will perceive, by the scratches on this ward, where the pressure was applied. On entering the room, their first proceeding must have been to gag Mr. Blessington. He may have been asleep, or he may have been so paralysed with terror as to be unable to cry out. These walls are thick, and it is conceivable that his shriek, if he had time to utter one, was unheard. Having secured him, it was evident to me that a consultation of some sort was held. Probably it was something in the nature of a judicial proceeding. It must have lasted for some time, for it was then that these cigars were smoked. The older man sat in that wicker chair, "'and it was he who used the cigar-holder. "'The younger man sat over yonder. "'He knocked his arse off of the chest of drawers. "'The third fellow paced up and down. "'Blessington, I think, sat upright in the bed, "'but of that I cannot be absolutely certain. "'Well, it ended by their taking Blessington and hanging him. "'The matter was so prearranged that it is my belief that they brought with them some sort of block or pulley which might serve as a gallows. That screwdriver and those screws were, as I conceive, for fixing it up. Having seen the hook, however, they naturally saved themselves the trouble. Having finished their work, they made off, and the door was barred behind them by their confederate. We had all listened with the deepest
0: interest to the sketch of the night's doings, which Holmes had deduced from signs so subtle and minute that, even when he had pointed them out to us, we could scarcely follow him in his reasoning. The inspector hurried away on the instant to make inquiries about the page, while Holmes and I returned to Baker Street for breakfast.
1: i will be back by three,'
0: said he when we had finished our meal.
1: Both the Inspector and the Doctor will meet me here at that hour, and I hope that by that time to have cleared up any little obscurity which the case may still present.
0: Our visitors arrived at the appointed time, but it was a quarter to four before my friend put in an appearance. From his expression as he entered, however,
1: I could see that all had gone well with him. Any news, Inspector? We have got the boy, sir. Excellent, and I have got the men. You You have got got them? them? We cried all three. Well, at least I have got their identity. This so-called Blessington is, as I expected, well known at headquarters, and so are his assailants. Their names are Biddle, Hayward, and Moffat. The Worthington Bank Gang! Precisely. Then Blessington must have been Sutton! Exactly. Why, that makes it as clear
0: as crystal!
1: Trevelyan and I looked at each other in bewilderment. "'You must surely remember the great Worthington bank business. Five men were in it, these four and a fifth called Cartwright. "'Tobin, the caretaker, was murdered, and the thieves got away with seven thousand pounds. "'This was in 1875. "'They were all five arrested, but the evidence against them was by no means conclusive.' "'This Blessington, or Sutton, who was the worst of the gang, turned informer. "'On his evidence Cartwright was hanged, and the other three got fifteen years apiece. "'When they got out the other day, which was some years before their full term, "'they set themselves, as you perceive, to hunt down the traitor "'and to avenge the death of their comrade upon him. "'Twice they tried to get at him and failed,' The third time, you see, it came off. Is there anything further which I can explain to you, Dr. Trevelyan? I think you have made it all remarkably clear. No doubt the day on which he was so perturbed was the day that he had seen of their release in the newspapers. Quite so. His talk of a burglary was the merest blind. But why could he not tell you this?' Well, my dear sir, knowing the vindictive character of his old associates, he was trying to hide his own identity from everybody as long as he could. His secret was a shameful one, and he could not bring himself to divulge it. However, wretched as he was, he was still living under the shield of the British law, and I have no doubt, Inspector, that you will see that, though the shield may fail to guard the sword of justice is still there to avenge.
0: Such were the singular circumstances in connection with the resident patient and the Brook Street doctor. From that night, nothing has been seen of the three murderers by the police, and it is surmised at Scotland Yard that they were among the passengers of the ill-fated steamer Nora Craner, which was lost some years ago with all hands upon the Portuguese coast some leagues to the north of Porto. The proceedings against the page broke down for want of evidence, and the Brook Street Mystery, as it was called, has never until now been fully dealt with in any public print. The Resident Patient By Arthur Conan Doyle With James Gelter as Sherlock Holmes, Percy Trevelyan, and the Russian son. Tony Grobe as Dr. Watson, Mr. Blessington, the Russian father, and Inspector Lanner. Baker Street theme performed by Jonathan Kinnersley. Produced by James Gelter and Tony Grobe. Directed by James Gelter.
2: Recorded at
0: the Latches Theater in Brattleboro, Vermont.
2: And welcome to After the Read Resident Patient Edition. As always, I am your co-host, Jake Gelter. I am your co-host, Tony Grobe. This episode has a sponsor, Tony. Take us away.
0: This episode is brought to you by Scylla and Charybdis. Want to protect your narrow strait from Argonauts and other Greek sailors? Count on Scylla and Charybdis. Together, this giant six-headed sea serpent and this unending whirlpool will cause any sea-going folks to avoid your waters. Just ask Odysseus.
2: I've faced many challenges, but I've never seen anything like Scylla and Charybdis. Even with Circe's help, I still lost six men one to each head. I couldn't recommend a better security system.
0: Scylla and Charybdis, available wherever you can find Uncharted Waters.
2: Very good. And also thank you to our patrons. All of our patrons. We love you so much. But especially thank you to our detective tier patrons, who at this point are... Anna Barons, Don Grobe, Donna Harlow, Holly Kennedy, Ian Hefley, Mary Allen, Denise Glover, Kelsey, Maureen Ward, and Katie Peterson. Yay! If you want a shout-out and a beautiful Baker Street Readers collectible mug, please sign up to become a detective-tier patron, and you will get those things. Also, uh, a number of our episodes are now available for free, free on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Podcast Addict, as well as on our website, BakerStreetReadersPodcast.com. If you know anyone, anyone, like any person who might be remotely interested in this podcast, whether they're Sherlock Holmes people, podcast people, or just people who are like, I don't know what to do with myself, tell them, hey. Listen to a few free episodes of the Baker Street Readers podcast and uh, see if you like it. And then if you do, sign up to be a patron. Indeed. And even if you are listening to this through Patreon, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcast or on Stitcher. Review it. It helps us get word out to a much broader audience that our podcast exists and is worth people's listening time. So please, please, and please do those things. Tony, can you add a please? Please. Very good. <laughs> um, oh, I've got to do one more check to see if we got any questions of the week this week. Yeah. Oh, ba, 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 no. love those questions. No. <laughs> you know, it's my fault. I'll apologize, people. I, I've, I should, po- I post on the Facebook page. Hey, ask us a question. The first time I did it, it was like an hour or so before we recorded. This time it was like 20 minutes before we started recording. But <laughs> if you have any questions for Tony and I, you can ask us at any time and we will answer it on a later episode. You can post it on our Facebook page. You can write us Readers at gmail.com and we will be happy to answer any and all of your questions. Now. Let us move on to the story of the week, The Resident Patient. Indeed. Tony, break The Resident Patient down for us. All right. The Resident Patient was
0: first published in the Strand Magazine in August of 1893 and later published in the memoirs of Sherlock Holmes. Mr. Conan Doyle ranked The Adventure of the Resident Patient 18th on a list of his 19 favorite Sherlock Holmes stories, which, you know, this goes to show... It hasn't always been a top ten.
2: No, and and honestly, I'm surprised it's 18. <laughs> I'm surprised it made the list. Well, you know, it's not a bad story, but no. he admits from the at the very top, oh, this is one in which Holmes doesn't really do much. <laughs> <laughs> True enough. True yeah. enough. I mean, the 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 details. I you know,
0: I could see I could see being an author of uh, of mysteries and finding. The details that he worked into this story to be kind of a favorite. It's got kind of Victorian horror angles to it that uh, that others don't.
2: Yeah, there are a few passages that are quite nice. That I mean, the whole hanging aspect of it. I think he really he really sets that up as. Mm-hmm as a gruesome thing he does that in stockbrokers clark too he really his views on what people look like when they're hanging is horrifying he's very good at describing the horror (laughs) of a person being hanged Mm. yeah and and in this instance where he you know he's the guy's got extra flabs of skin hanging off it's very it's very disturbing in that way but it Mm -hmm. does have two of the things that you and i normally knock holmes doesn't do much Mm -hmm. and the bad guys just kind of Get in the shipwreck or whatever, they're never they're never caught. You know? Mm -hmm. So that's Mm -hmm. that's two personal J strikes. (laughs) Yeah, I mean it's true. I mean, in a way Holmes gets brought into this
0: almost a little bit too late to actually be helpful. Right. You know, they they bring him in the very night that as it turns out the uh the tragedy is about to occur. Right. And then the client does the well, not it's not that Trevelyan doesn't trust Holmes to to be helpful, but the fellow who's actually facing the imminent danger doesn't do anything to help himself yeah
2: it is it is a rare occurrence and i'm trying to think of other just truly of other instances where it happens where holmes just straight up says oh no i'm not taking this job Hmm. and walk walks away from a case i don't i mean it's it's mentioned in other stories that this is a thing he will do but this Mm -hmm. is the only one that jumps to mind right away in a story where he yeah. wipes his hands of a client and just walks away and says it's on you and of course it has yeah. tragic repercussions but Holmes expresses no guilt about that because he feels very right in his position of I I I can't help a guy who can't who won't help himself
0: right in a very real way what are you going to do for someone who won't tell you what's going on so you can do something to be helpful right hang out hang out downstairs and try to
2: ambush these guys who sneak into the house. Right. Although it is interesting, you think that if Holmes really wanted to push the point, he definitely could have been like okay, here's what I've already figured out just looking at you. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. you might as well tell he does he doesn't which he does sometimes, but he doesn't pull that with this guy. He's just straight up just like mm-hmm. this guy is not worth my time. Perhaps maybe because he had an inkling that the guy was a criminal in the first place. And that's what this is all about, you know? Mm-hmm. Certainly possible. Although it's not like Holmes hasn't helped criminals out in the past. Also true. Yeah, yeah. Also true. New segment. Here we go. This segment is called Conan Doyle's Favorite Phrases.
0: I love
2: it. <laughs> it struck me the moment I heard you read it in this story. Mm-hmm. A phrase that Watson uses to describe... No, actually, Watson doesn't use it in this one. Sorry, Trevelyan uses it in this one. There's a certain mm-hmm. phrase I said out loud as we were reading this, and I went, oh, I've heard this before. And that was when Trevelyan is describing the, quote, Russian son. He says that he has the limbs and chest of a Hercules. A mm-hmm. very nice phrase way of saying he's a big strong guy Mm -hmm. but i went wait a minute (laughs) this sounds familiar this does sound familiar i'm pretty sure he uses this exact same phrase in a scandal in bohemia to describe the king of bohemia and he doesn't i was (laughs) wrong oh he says that the king of bohemia had the chest and limbs of a hercules not the limbs and chest of a Hercules. Oh. So it's a completely different phrase. He's not well, plagiarizing himself at all. In that case, uh, we got to let him off the hook. Right, right, right. 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 <laughs> Although as uh, as Alfred Hitchcock once said, self-plagiarism is style. As a man who's self-plagiarized constantly, we'll, we'll take him as the authority on that. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm wondering if there are other I part of me wants to just like load up a document, you know, on like Gutenberg of all the different Sherlock Holmes collections, mm-hmm. and and do a c-
1: control, find Hercules. F,
2: <laughs> control F search for Hercules and see how many times this phrase pops up. Limbs and chest of a Hercules, yeah. limbs and chest of a Hercules. Yeah.
0: It would not surprise me if it uh, if it recurs a few more times.
2: Yeah, I'm just I'm I, I'm I'm honestly I'm just gonna write here live. This is for the podcast. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm just going to see, I'm just going to do it for the adventures and see what, what comes up. Mm-hmm. All right. So I'm bringing up a document that is the entire, the entire book doing control F for Hercules. Oh, in the adventures, Hercules is only mentioned once in Scandal in Bohemia. Ah. All right. All right. Well, that I'm going to do it for memoirs.
0: <laughs> if it's only once in each, co- each collection, then I think I think we might have to let Doyle have a pass on this one because it's there's some separation there at least in terms of yes. the publication. It's it's an accident of our our recording order that we've encountered uh, them in yeah. such proximity.
2: He only does it once in memoirs. Uh-huh. All right, we're we're going for the trifecta. Let's see if he does <laughs> it one time in the return. <laughs> This is usually the sort of vigorous research we do before we start recording. You Eh, know, you you, you can't always anticipate
0: what strikes you in the heat of the moment.
2: Indeed, indeed. Okay, so searching, I've loaded up the Return of Sherlock Holmes. Searching for Hercules doesn't come up. Uh Ah, it may come up in in one of the later later collections. We don't know, but for Mm -hmm. right now, Conan Doyle, you get a pass. All right. (laughs) It's it's an although really rule of three. You should have used it one more. Well. This is true.
0: This is true. It, it may be in one of the novels that, you know, I haven't read in a while. So I'm just not,
1: uh,
2: not leaping
0: yeah. to mind. There are some strapping fellows in those books.
2: Kind of a tangent. While we're at it, I loaded up The Return of Sherlock Holmes on Project Gutenberg. And they show the original cover. And the cover is a silhouette of Holmes sitting in a window. And i got to say, whoever drew this particular Holmes's nose, my God, that's a nose. <laughs> it's gigantic (laughs) all right now i have to see it (laughs) yeah audience do yourself a favor look at the look at the look up the original cover to the return of sherlock holmes and check out i mean holmes is usually drawn as having a big nose but this this looks like a muppet nose this looks like he's grover (laughs) (laughs) it's just a big old big old teardropped piece of foam attached to the front of his face you, you found it is, is it the adventures of the memoirs the return oh return Return, my friend i believe it's a picture of the silhouette of him in the window from the story uh the empty house
0: Ah, uh, yes the wax is it
2: that that would be the wax bust oh good lord yes yeah <laughs> yep there it is i wouldn't believe that was a real waxed bust of sherlock holmes yeah oh we're giving spoilers for future episodes it does it does seem a trifle
0: uh exaggerated Although, you know,
2: there are people with silhouettes like that. Alright, alright. Let's 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 get back to the matter at hand, Tony. Yes, meanwhile, back stop at the leading us, Stop leading us on these crazy tangents of yours. I'm sorry, you're blaming me? You're the one who made up the episode notes. I don't know what you're talking <laughs> about. Uh, I, I want all of the praise and none of the blame. <laughs> don't we all? Is that too much to ask? <laughs> <laughs> All right. There is one other thing that you you can't you can't do an episode about resident patient without bringing this up. The resident patient when it was first published, it was as we read it, but when it was published in the original edition of the Memoirs of Sherlock Holmes, there were changes. Mm. Now, these changes are in connection to The Adventure of the Cardboard Box. If you have not listened to our episode, The Adventures of the Cardboard Box, dear listeners, go back, you'll hear a more in-depth discussion about the fraught history of that particular story. But Cliff notes, Cardboard Box was written and was intended to be a part of the memoirs of Sherlock Holmes. It was released as a story in the Strand, but when it actually came time to put it in the collection Conan Doyle decided against that. And I actually found a quote, the one quote, public quote that, well, it's actually, he wrote it in a private message to somebody, but the one quote we have from him about this decision, Conan Doyle wrote, and Jonathan's going to be mad at me because this is my worst Scottish accent. <laughs> that was no, I'm not going to do the Scottish accent. <laughs> <laughs> Conan Doyle said, there was a certain sex element in the cardboard box story and for this reason, I discarded it when I published in book form. Hmm. But apparently, there was one thing in that story that he really loved. And that was the mind reading scene between Holmes and Watson. Ah, yes. Which you and I in that episode discussed at length is maybe one of the dumbest scenes that he's <laughs> <written>. <laughs> Possibly.
0: But, so so that scene got added to this
2: story when the, that when the scene, collection was yes. published oh. yes as we performed it this time around uh watson has his little intro mm-hmm. his little preference and then he really starts the story by saying i cannot be sure of the exact date but it was sometime in october he briefly describes holmes doing this chemical work mm-hmm. and then that gets ruined and Holmes says let's go out for a walk Mm -hmm. that's how the story begins as originally written um when it was uh released in the first english edition of the memoirs of sherlock holmes he does that opening little prologue and then he says it was a close rainy day in october our blinds were half drawn and he and he just jumps into that mind reading Mm. uh whole that whole scene and then as soon as that scene is over Sherlock just says, uh, well, that was fun. It's a nice night. Let's go walk through London.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So he just basically jammed that scene into this this story. Interesting.
2: Right. But it also doesn't make sense because he keeps the story as taking place in October, but then he doesn't make any other edits to Mm. what he does in the memoirs. So in the same paragraph, he says it was a close rainy day in October, but Parliament had risen. Hmm. And the thermometer was at ninety. Yeah, because uh, because in uh, yeah Be- because cardboard box takes it place takes in the place, height of August. Yeah,
0: it, on a very very hot day.
2: Yeah. 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 So <laughs> he he keeps it in the same time of year, al- although there's no reason he needs to. But then mm. it's a it's a ninety degree October where everyone's on vacation apparently, mm. and it's raining. It's raining, but also very hot. Yes. And then an addendum to that in the 1928, the first edition of the complete Sherlock Holmes, apparently people didn't know how to deal with this editing, this weird error. And so it literally, the story just starts with, it had been a close rainy day in October. Unhealthy weather, Watson, said my friend, but the evening has brought a breeze. Let's go on a ramble through London. (laughs) It just cuts out it cuts out all of it and just goes straight to them going on a walk mm. and like i said we really don't have from what from what research i have done there's not really a record behind conan doyle's thinking on this and why it ended up going that way mm. uh, like i said if it was an amazing little piece i gu- i mean i guess conan doyle was probably very proud of the deduction game that he wrote for that story, with for listeners who aren't familiar with that story, Watson is literally just laying on a couch thinking. And Holmes says, I know exactly what you've been thinking about for the last ten minutes, and I can base it on your eye movements and your change of expression and all that. Conan Doyle was apparently very proud of that scene and Indeed. just needed it, needed it in the book somehow. Hmm. But, you know, I'll talk to him about it, see how he feels. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it'd be nice to get a comment. Um, well, I mean, that is all I really have to say about the resident patient to <laughs> yourself, Tony.
0: I think I agree with you. It's a an interesting turn, uh,
2: interesting little story, but also a little bit eh. Yeah. Although we should say I can recommend this. This will be our first uh, non-canon reading recommendation to Ooh. readers. If you have the time, please read House of Silk by Anthony Horowitz. It is a phenomenal book. Tony and I have both read it. Indeed. Highly recommend. It does that rare thing that a lot of authors don't manage to do when writing new Sherlock Holmes stories, in which it keeps stylistically very true to the original, but also adds just enough to make it fresh and exciting and add a new dimension to the characters. without betraying the characters in any way mm-hmm. i won't tell you why you should read that one after listening to this particular story because that would be a spoiler but i i would recommend it <laughs> absolutely Indeed. another piece of business we will be soon releasing a bonus episode that will get more in depth about this but We did, at the start of this new era at the Lashes Theatre, we did say that we were doing eight stories in eight weeks, and now the big question arises, what happens, Jay and Tony, after those eight weeks? Well, Tony and I have been making big plans as to what will happen after those eight weeks, Mm -hmm. and we're not going to tell you right now, but... (laughs) Plans are forming. They are very exciting. And uh, we will be releasing a bonus episode soon in which we describe those plans in depth. And that will probably happen before the end of this summer session. So please, if you see a bonus episode pop up in your feed, listen to it right away Mm -hmm. because we think you will be excited by the news. All right. Well. I feel like we've done this story justice. I do too. All right. Well, then we will see you again, our dear listeners next week, when we will be jumping into the adventure of the Greek interpreter.